Welcome to La Raza Chronicles. Bienvenidos a Crónicas de la Raza. Our program would like to acknowledge the state violence infringed on the Latino community in our home countries, as well as in the streets, schools, prisons, and detention centers in this country that we now call home. We'd like to stand in solidarity with our African-American and Native American family that has also experienced ongoing persecution and violence here. To honor resistance to injustice, we'll spotlight Afro-Latino music on our show. On tonight's program, we bring you a show focused on arte y cultura with interviews on the Mission Cultural Center murals, a review of John Leguizamo's latest show, important Afro-Puerto Rican bomba music, and an interview about a film on the story of a little Chicana girl and her coming to terms with her queer identity. All this and much more, stay tuned. You're listening to La Raza Chronicles, Crónicas de la Raza. I'm your host, Vanessa Bohm. And this Friday, there'll be a very special event of Puerto Rican music and dance, specifically featuring the rich bomba music of Puerto Rico. Here to tell us more about this exciting event is Denise Solis, co-founder of Taller Bombalele. Thank you, Denise, for speaking with us this evening. Thank you. Thank you for having us on the show. I think most listeners, when they think of Puerto Rico, they think of salsa, merengue, um, but you all focus on the style of music called bomba. What is bomba and what does it look like? Sure, sure. Bomba was born as a result of the slave trade. Um, it is a music that came by way of uh, folks brought over in bondage from different parts of Africa, as early as the 1500s to all of uh, Northern America, the Caribbean, Latin America. But bomba is very specific to Puerto Rico. It was born in the sugarcane plantations where folks bought in bondage needed a way to just cope with life and also honor ancestors that brought their religious and spiritual beliefs over from where they were brought from. It also had influences of the Taino people in Puerto Rico and obviously the colonizers, the Spanish. Those are the three main influence in Bomba. And it's a music and dance tradition that was used to uh, communicate, that was used to deal with life, that was used to honor ancestors that was used to um, also communicate between themselves when there was a rebellion about to happen or when they were planning something. So Bomba does, you know, has a long, rich history in terms of how it's connected to the painful past of slavery in Puerto Rico and and the experience of those people in the sugarcane plantations. And then obviously had, as it went through time, other influences that happened in the island. It's very unique to Puerto Rico, even though obviously because uh, this experience was what happened throughout all of Latin America, as well as the United States, it has a lot of similarities to other cultural music from the Afro-Latino diaspora. And one of those similarities is kind of the call and response between the drummer and the dancer, correct? Absolutely. It's the calm response, similarities around the way people improvise within uh, both the singing and the dancing. And obviously, it's the music of the drum and voices. And also, there's a spiritual aspect to it, not religious, but a spiritual aspect, an aspect of honoring the past, honoring the ancestors that also is interwoven in that. Not only is this going to be a great event because it highlights the bomba tradition, but there'll be some very special guests that will be part of the performance. The Cepeda family has been in town. Tell us about the Cepeda family and what makes them unique. 
Absolutely. We are blessed to be able to have a great majority of the Cepeda family members that are joining us. In terms of what makes them unique and very special to this particular tradition is that their family have been keepers, teachers, sharers, proponents of this tradition, which for them is a way of life for seven generations continuously. Right now, there is a Koto Renaissance of Bomba that has been going on for many years. But this was music that was marginalized just as the community it belongs to. To, right, folks that came through that history of being in bondage, being uh, black, being poor, even through the industrialization of Puerto Rico, then this became the poor working class. You know, bomba wasn't something that was uplifted, just like a lot of traditions that live with people of color and working class people. And so, um, Don Rafael Cepeda Tiles and Doña Caridad Cepeda Brenes were instrumental. Uh, Don Rafael is referred to as El Roble Mayor, you know, which translates literally to the elder oak. Oak because a lot of the drums are made out of oak barrels because that's what was available when bomba tradition started in the island. And then he's also referred to as El Patriarca de la Bomba. And so he would have been 106 years old on July 10th, Don Rafael Cepeda. And so his great-grandfather and great-grandfather were also bomberos. But what he did that was unique is he really made it a point to make sure that bomba was uplifted and that he composed a lot of songs that were um, recorded by famous artists like El Sonero Mayor, Isma Rivera, Gran Combo, Celia Cruz, to name a few. He was a prolific composer, not just of bombas, but of a bunch of other styles of music uh, native to Puerto Rico uh, and the Caribbean. And then he also made sure that his family, everyone had to play bomba basically in a family or learn to dance, play, sing. And he also taught many folks who then started their own bomba schools. So he was really prolific in making sure that bomba continued and was uplifted. And so I think this is the only family that we know of that can say that their family has carried this tradition continuously generation through generation. So we will have the experience of having three generations of Cepedos on stage on Friday, July 15th. His son, um, Jesus El Tambor Mayor, Mario Cepeda, Carlos Cepeda, his grandchildren, Jose Manuel Cepeda, Julia Cepeda, Margarita Tata Cepeda, and his great-grandchildren, Rafaelito Cepeda, Caridad Martinez, and Joshua Guerra Cepeda. So we'll have three generations of Cepedas on stage. And then the last thing I'll say is we were able to get some grants from the National Association of Latino Arts and Culture, City of Oakland, and the Akanari Beloved Foundation to be able to do not just the performance on the 15th, but we have workshops, free, or what we call jam sessions, what we call bombazos. We just had an, an amazing one at Lake Merritt this past Sunday. Um, and then we're going to end their residency next Sunday with a community dialogue and then Bombazo, like a jam at Studio Grand in Oakland as well next Sunday. And so all of these events happening this week with all of this family is a culmination of a one-and-a-half-month residency that the elder of the family now, Jesus Cepeda, El Tambor Mayor, has been here for about a month-and-a-half teaching percussion workshops, giving dialogues, conversations, and jam sessions to the community. So we're really blessed to have that here. Well, what an honor to have so many people from the same family perform this Friday. That's going to be pretty amazing. And the Cepeda family received a special recognition from the city of Oakland. Tell us about that. 
Yes, thank you. So Council Member uh, Abel Guillen, uh, we've been doing a lot of events in his district in the Lake Merritt area because our local group, Taller Bombalele, which was founded by myself and Julia Caridad Cepeda, who is, um, you know, part of the family, uh, Jesus's daughter, relocated here to the Bay Area in 2013 and founded the Taller in 2014, which has been uh, housed at Studio Grand in Oakland. And so uh, we give classes there on Sundays. And so um, Jesus, since he arrived here on May 26th, has also been teaching classes and, um, you know, offering history, conversation, lived experience. And so Abel Guillen and the city of Oakland honored uh, the Cepeda family with a proclamation naming July 10th. Uh, La Familia Cepeda Day in honor of their contributions to the Afro-Puerto Rican cultural uh, tradition of Bomba and also for being so instrumental in the Bomba community here, which is already about 15 years old or more. The Bomba community obviously has been growing here in the Bay Area since about 2000. Um, And so having Julia move in 2013 really, I think, gave it a a spark um, and has, you know, just kind of helped to grow that community here. And so we were so excited to receive that. Also because by sheer coincidence, um, it wasn't planned. I think it was serendipitous, but El Roble Mayor, Don Rafael Cepeda, would have been 106 on July 10th. So when the family was given this recognition by Councilmember Abel Guillen, they were so touched because it happened to be their grandfather's birth date. And also, Oakland is, is known as the city of oak trees, and that is a nickname given to Don Rafael Cepeda, referred to as a Roble Mayor. So I, I thought that was so interesting, those connections that happened serendipitously with the family receiving this recognition. Well, that's beautiful just how things came together that way. Well, I'm going to ask you a question that I've always had on my mind. Being half Puerto Rican, I've often traveled to Puerto Rico, and you always hear bomba y plena, not just bomba alone, but the reference to bomba y plena. What's the relationship between the two musical styles? Sure, they definitely have things that are similar in terms of how they came to be. However, they're two completely different traditions and musical styles. Bomba predates plena. And bomba is definitely the oldest kind of uh, drum and music and dance tradition uh, native to Puerto Rico, from Puerto Rico, very Puerto Rican, even though there are some differences between uh, the different regions in Puerto Rico. The family focuses on bomba cangrejera, which is now referred to as Santurce. That area was San Martín de Cangrejos is now um, Santurce area. And plena, it's played with different instruments, but it's also very much Puerto Rican. I know less about plena, so I wouldn't dare go into the history of plena, but definitely, um, you know, there are two very different styles of music and, and traditions. Well, let's tell folks the specifics of the event this Friday in San Francisco again. Absolutely. So this Friday is a one-night-only opportunity to see the family on stage performing together, La Familia Cepeda. You'll probably see a little bit of plena, but mainly bomba. And that performance is at Brava Theater in San Francisco. You can get tickets on Eventbrite. All information, both for this performance and workshops related to their residency, you can look on galeriadelaraza.org, who's co-sponsoring the event with Tayer Bombalene. So that's www.galeriadelaraza.org. I would encourage folks to get their tickets through Eventbrite. They're selling pretty fast, and this show will most likely sell out. And then there's also um, another link on there for dance workshops. And today, this afternoon at 7 p.m. at the African American Arts Complex in San Francisco. Uh, Margarita Tata Cepeda, the eldest female dancer of our family, will be uh, offering a dance workshop. And so she'll offer three workshops, one today, 
one Thursday both at the African American Arts Complex and one on Saturday at uh, Trillian Dance Studio in Oakland. All that information will be on galeriadelarasa.org. And I know you said that the Cepeda family residency will be coming to an end, but there's still plenty of opportunities to learn about bomba music and dance. You all teach classes here in the Bay Area. Tell us a little bit about this work and how listeners can get more information. Absolutely. You know, we're really proud to say we've got a, an amazing group of students. It's become more of a community, um, adding to the already present uh, Bomba community here in the Bay Area. We are Ayer Bombalele. You can look us up on Facebook. We have a page. If you like us, you'll get all the events that we post on our page. We usually have classes on Sundays is our normal class time from 1130 to um, 1.30. And then we'll take a little break after the residency is over on July 18th. We'll be back in September at Studio Grand, Sunday mornings, Taller Bombalele. Look us up on Facebook. Uh, we have a webpage that's on under construction but should be ready by the end of the summer. It's tallerbombalele.org, and it is run by Maestra Julia Caridad Cepeda, uh, and I just I get to accompany her on the drum. It's a dance class, but we do also offer percussion workshops uh, from time to time as there's been a, an interest in percussion as well, especially after uh, the month and a half we've had with um, Mr. Jesus Cepeda giving percussion classes. Well, thank you so much, Denise Solis, co-founder of Taller Bombalele, for speaking with us this evening. I encourage folks to go out this Friday and really take advantage of this wonderful opportunity to see the Cepeda family perform and hope you all make it to the show. Thank you so much, Denise, for joining us this evening. Thank you so much. Hope to see everyone at the show and we want to give a shout out to La Familia Cepeda for being here from Puerto Rico and to all the Bomba community here in the Bay Area that has been so supportive in this Tengo Calderón, Choquitán, el que sabe, sabe, ¿verdad? ¿Qué fue? Saludos para todo mi gente allá abajo en el Choco. This is Nina Serrano for La Raza Chronicles, KPFA, 94.1 FM. It was an exciting premiere, an opening night at a local theater. The Berkeley Rep, featuring a Hollywood star, John Leguizamo, in a solo comic performance about one of La Raza Chronicle's favorite topics, Latin history for morons. The lobby was packed with some of our favorite people. We spotted a prominent Chicano poet in the front row as we took our seats and joined in the thunderous applause welcoming this amazing and versatile artist, John Leguizamo, who acts and writes for stage, comedy clubs, TV, and films. For the next 90 minutes, we sat in gripped attention as he spoke, danced, clowned, scribbled, and misspelled on a blackboard the date and histories of the indigenous people of the Americas. At the same time, he revealed a family story with fascinating characters at a mad pace. His antics brought howls of laughter. At moments, he appeared as a stand-up comic with allusions to popular street culture, but he always returned to his storyline about his own family. 
the plot focuses on his adolescent son who needs to report on a Latino hero for school while confronting schoolyard and classroom bullying. His portrait of his wife, mother, daughter, uncle, childhood friend, and other characters passed through this accomplished actor. Even Stephen Hawking and Sigmund Freud make an appearance. Aztec and Inca empires rise and fall. The Caribbean Taino people diseased with syphilis. We are left to surmise their enslavement and torture. No person or institution is exempt from this performer's outrageous humor. The laughs are coming by the minute midst personal, familial, and tribal disasters. Yet, as an audience, we are aware that this is theater and not stand-up comedy, although Leguizama breaks the fourth wall tradition to address the audience directly, perhaps out of habit as a frequent comedy club performer. According to the Berkeley Rep magazine, it is the Berkeley Rep's artistic director, Puerto Rican Tony Tacon, who helps Leguizamo through transitioning the original nightclub sketch into a one-person theater piece. This was mainly done through developing the actor-playwright's personal family storyline into history. Over the years, Leguizamo has been amassing historic information, but never finding a vehicle to present it. Utilizing the Berkeley Rep's lab project called Ground Floor, a center for the development of new work, the artist was able to find support and space to people his volumes of facts and dates with the ongoing saga of his family, facing these facts in the racially divided, ambiguous USA at this moment, when black and brown people are killed in the street by police, Latino youth drop out of school at high rates, and Donald Trump vilifies Mexican immigrants. The result is a must-see piece of live theater that runs through August 14th at the Berkeley Rep Theater in downtown Berkeley. Latino History for Morons brings Latino history in the USA from out of the shadows and into the spotlight with humor and the magic and excitement of live theater. Tickets are available at berkeleyrep.org. That's berkeleyrep.org. This has been Nina Serrano for La Raza Chronicles. You're listening to La Raza Chronicles, Cronicas de la Raza. I'm Julieta Cusnid, and today we're going to get the chance to talk to a filmmaker whose film you all are going to be able to watch because it's available on PBS Online. It's an online film festival that'll be running for a short amount of time, so people need to jump on it and catch it. We have with us Carla Legaspi. She is the director of Gold Star. Thank you so much, Carla, for being on the line with us. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. 
So Carla, your film is a short film, but it really covers a lot of ground. And in many ways, it's pretty groundbreaking. So why don't you start things off by giving our listeners a little overview about what you tackle in this film? Well, my film's uh, centered around a little girl who, her name's Ileana. She's a little Chicanita from City Terrace, L.A. And basically, she creates music to express herself. And she finds out that there's a talent show happening in her school. And she really feels like it is an opportunity for her to, like, be real about some of the things that she's processing on her own and in her own heart and in her own mind. And um, so she sings a song to one of her teachers, uh, female teachers, and uh, it becomes a little bit of a shock and problem with her school and with her family. So um, it's basically the journey of a young girl, not questioning her sexuality, but more like stating, you know, what she's going through at that time of her life. And, um, and it just has a lot of repercussions that are painful for her. Yeah, so it's, it's a very important film because I feel like that we're in a place in our society when young folks are having a lot more questions about sexual orientation or gender orientation. And I feel like this really tackles a space for them to have a voice and to learn how to become those kinds of allies to our young folks. That's the voice of Carla Legaspi. She's talking about our film Gold Star, which people can access online. It's a short film, and it covers uh, many issues. And as Carla said, it's an issue that, unfortunately, um, we're not seeing as much coverage around as we should. Unfortunately, in the media and in general, a lot of people have the ideas that, oh, it is just impossible to be queer in the Latino community, that there's no acceptance, et cetera, et cetera. Here in the Bay Area, we have an organization, Somos Familia, that focuses around support and just convivencia, like just getting together for Latino families of queer folks, whether it's their children, aunts, uncles, you know, whoever, and just coming together. And it's a really widely loved organization. And it really speaks to the fact that this is an artificial idea that, you know, Latinos are going to be much less accepting than anyone else. So, Carla, you've actually spent a lot of time tackling and telling stories that are often pushed under the rug or dismissed or seen as not the Latino story. So tell us a little Mm -hmm. bit about your process in deciding to tackle this short story and how it fits in your filmmaking story. Definitely. So my production company that that I'm with or that supports me is uh, Adarisa Productions, which is a a production company that focuses on queer, trans, people of color filmmaking. And um, when I got this grant from the Latino Public Broadcasting based on the story that's actually a flashback scene of my feature film that I'm working on as well. I thought that the story in itself was like enough to make a short film and maybe have some like input on how it does out in the world and how people accept it or not. So when I got the grant, uh, Adarisa Productions was like, yeah, let's do this. These are the kind of movies that we want to make. And so we have a whole community of, of support with that. So this is like their fourth film. This is my second film with them. I, I co-produced one of their feature films, which is called Bruising for Vessels. And so there is a lot of challenges that go into playing and creating a story like this. But this is the only kind of art that at the moment, like, I feel we need, especially with there's so much violence happening across the land right now, uh, not just against people of color, but queer people of color are 
attacked on the daily and killed on the daily queer trans people of color and feel like this is a way of us healing our communities, really portraying these images of, first of all, normalcy, how normal it is for me to see a young person stating what they love and who they love and how they go about doing it in the most beautiful and innocent way. And I feel like for me as an artist, that's truly my role. And not just when I speak about little chicanitas or or you know, we I also have like a a matcha character in my film, uh, Gold Star, that's played by Adelina Anthony. And that character is just pure beauty and magic and how she like navigates the whole environment of how she is all about love and acceptance and like really accepting and respecting the kid's innocence, but still having to defend her in ways that are really out of her place. And to just find that normalcy and how we how we go about advocating for our kids. And that really is a role that I feel like I, I want to continue to play in making film. I want to continue to just create stories, Chicano, queer stories, women's stories. Um, I feel like we're completely underrepresented and we are such a huge part of all the communities and our stories are super universal. Everyone knows what it's like to feel alone and not understood. And hopefully that that crosses through the film. That's the voice of Carla Legaspi. She directed Gold Star, which is a short film that people are going to be able to access through PBS Online Film Festival, which runs July 11th through July 29th. So it's a limited time, so they're going to have to move on it to watch it. As you mentioned, Carla, the two main issues that really are so prevalent and really impacting the fate of our young people and also the health of our communities as a whole, one is the disproportionate attacks and the extreme marginalization of queer people of color, specifically trans women, women of color, facing the most violence out of any sector of our Mm -hmm. society, the highest percentage of murders, of unsolved murders, of physical abuse, and just really having this be, instead of seen as a huge public health issue, missing from most of the public conversation. Another Mm -hmm. aspect that you mentioned is just this general invisibility that most um, Latinos feel in the sense that they are only seen represented, whether as criminals or maybe the immigration story of crossing over and the trials and hardships that that represents, but lacking humanity. So you've created this film that that's something that I want everyone to really understand. There's no way you can watch this film and not feel the humanity of the characters. And that's something you've really done. That's why it is so universal. So thinking about your film, Gold Star, what would a film like this mean for you or for other people um, when you were the age of the character seeing something like this? I feel that because I grew up in such a conservative, Catholic, immigrant family. If I would have seen something like that, I would have been a little scared. I think as a young person, I would have been a little scared because, I, first of all, I, I didn't had no idea what my identity was as a young person. But I, in my fear, I know that I would have felt that my advocacy, because I've always been an advocate for LGBTQ communities, even before before the fact that I I realized I was a queer woman. And I think that I would have felt that my advocacy, that that first of all, that I was normal for advocating for something that that really just, as a young person, I just thought that we all have to treat each other with love and kindness, no matter what. 
And I feel like if we, when we really, and for some reason, even though that I saw there was violence around me, I, I no matter what said, you can't say that that's wrong to my family. You can't say that, that you, you're not supposed to say that. There are people like us. And so I think this movie would just validate that need and saying like, hey, there is other people that believe that this is normal, that we're all the same, that every kid has to have that opportunity to just be who they are and no pressure in their process and just like be supported in a way. Um, I created another character in the film that that's her role. She goes through the film. She's this little, little girl, adorable, played by Esri. And she just goes through the film happy, loving, supporting her best friend, clapping for her, cheering her on, doesn't see the sexuality attached to it, doesn't care. She's just there to be that support system for her best friend. And that, to me, is the character that I would be as a young person, that I don't know who I am going to grow up to be, but I know that I love my friend and that I'm going to be there for her and cheer her on through her journey. So, Carla, why don't you give our listeners information about how to actually watch these films? How can they access it? And it's also not the only one. There's also some other short films that they can access through the Latino Public Broadcasting. And these are premieres that are limited time offers. So why don't you give our listeners the info? Sure. So Go Star the Short Film plays with 24 other films. They're all shorts. And you can actually access them through, if you Google PBS, Film Festival, or you can go to our website, which is www.goldstartheshort.com, and I will have a link that automatically takes you to our to the actual page where you can start watching all the films. And the thing is, is that this film festival is also a competition. So I've already gathered my troops and my alliances and said, okay, guys, our story is the only queer story <laughs> in this festival. Let's show them that we care about seeing ourselves visible in the world. So the more you watch the film, this one as, as well as the other one, and vote for it and share it with all your friends and share it and share it and share it, I think that we will start having a dialogue, not just in the cinematic world, but also in our personal lives. Like, this is the main reason for me to make this film is that I want folks to start having these conversations about how do we become accessible and loving and supportive to our young people. So I want to talk a little bit about the way Adarisa Productions functions and how we make art. And for one, we are huge advocates about hiring women, specifically queer women of color, to pay them reasonable wages to have them have that sense of security. In, and we live in, a, in, in Hollywood and making films in Hollywood. If you see a one, two, three women working, it's like very rare. But I think that there's a movement happening and we are huge advocates of just creating those kinds of roles, and especially roles where women have, you know, my, my cinematographer, Leah Alvano, was amazing. Um, my executive producers, Adelina Anthony and Marisa Becerra, like having them as a support system and then creating that space with an all-woman cast and them feeling like they were supported, especially because we have young girls on set. It was just a magical experience. And I, I urge all filmmakers out there to really start thinking outside the box and start having 
more women on their sets and on front of the screen because we need to feel, you know, we have a space and a voice and, you know, we're also allowed to have and make films for ourselves. We've been speaking to Carla Legaspi. She is the filmmaker of Gold Star, which is a short film that is available for folks to see through pbs.org. They can go to pbs.org slash indie films and check it out. It's only until the 29th of July, so they're going to have to move quick. Muchísimas gracias, Carla, por estar con nosotros y platicar con nosotros sobre tu último proyecto. Gracias. Thank you. So our website is www.goldstartheshort.com and you'll see the beautiful picture of our lead actress played by Mystique Green and it'll send you over to the PBS Film Festival so you can get a chance to watch, share and vote. Africa. Africa. 
is Nina Serrano for La Raza Chronicles. I have on the line Betsy Miller-Kurtz. You may have noticed when you go through the Mission District in San Francisco, one of its familiar landmarks, which is the huge mural on the outside of the Mission Cultural Center on Mission Street between 24th and 26th, where really all of the cultural activity of the neighborhood occurs, and and maybe it's the heart of Latino life, and maybe it's the heart of the barrio, the cultural heart in San Francisco. Well, did you ever wonder how did that mural get there? I mean, it's been there so long. Well, I have on the phone Betsy Miller-Kurtz, who was one of the muralists who put that mural there. Hi, Betsy. Good good afternoon, Nina. Very nice to talk to you. Yes, it's been many years. I remember when you were painting it with Carlos Lorca. What year was that? That was in 1982. Carlos Lorca was the lead muralist, and he had uh, Manuel Villamor and myself as the two other muralists working on it. Uh, All three of us worked together on the design and then the actual painting of the mural. And so now, how many years has that been since 1982? Long time. 34 years ago. So the colors have faded. Yes, it's weathered and deteriorated. And of course, the technology of the paint was very different in those days. And it actually has lasted quite well considering the time that's, that has elapsed, but it, it definitely needs restoration. And so now you are taking that up at the Mission Cultural Center of restoring the original mural. Yes, we are. Carlos and I are the two remaining muralists. Manuel is living in Mexico somewhere, and we haven't been able to locate him. We're still working on that. In any case, under the uh, guidance of Jenny Rodriguez, the director at the Mission Cultural Center, a committee has been formed to raise funds for this restoration. And it will be quite an expensive project, but the two of us are still capable and willing to to oversee the restoration and to work with some of the younger muralists in the Mission District to bring it up to date. And how much is this project going to cost? About $100,000, which is a huge amount of money, but it in, includes cleaning and oh, uh, <laughs> blasting, cleaning, varnishing, pre- prepping the whole wall, remediating all the damage that's been done, then repainting the whole front and side of the building, and then covering it with a very, very high-quality conservator's varnish to ensure that it will last for many years to come. So it's a, it's a quite huge project. So this is now a crowd fundraiser project at the Mission Cultural Center. Well, it is in, uh, to some extent. The, uh, we have received a grant of $40,000 from the mayor's office to underwrite the beginnings of it, and, and that will be used probably partially as matching funds for further grant writing. We also have a, a fundraising campaign, which is being administered by the committee at the Mission Cultural Center. That committee uh, includes such luminaries as Susan Cervantes of Presida Eyes Muralist, a young conservator at the de Young Museum, whose name is Geneva Griswold, is the head of the committee. And then there are numerous people on the committee who have 
contributed and been part of the Mission District in the past. So we're hoping to raise a good amount of money from that appeal, and I, I actually have a website people can go to if they want to make a donation. Oh, give it to us now and give it to us later. All right. It's a Facebook page. It'll be www.facebook.com slash, and then this is in capitals, M-C-C-L-A Mural. And there's a, a, a spot on there which takes you directly to the donation button on the, the Mission Cultural Center website. So every little bit helps. $5 helps. $100 helps. We really want to get this done. It will be, I believe, the 40th anniversary of the founding of the Mission Cultural Center. Well, I have a very warm spot in my heart for that because I was one of those founders 40 years ago, and I do remember the mural going up. And I wonder if you could tell us what was Carlos Lorca and the rest of your crew's original impetus for the images of that mural? Well, we had um, uh, we knew, of course, that this was a, a part of San Francisco, the Mission District, which was uh, a haven for many refugees, many immigrants from particularly the oppressed areas of uh, Central and South America. But we didn't want to make it a political mural. We wanted to make it a mural devoted to the arts. So we began with the images on the on the left side of the wall, which draw from the various Indian cultures in Mexico and Central America and Peru. And those uh, elements lead into a huge Indian figure who represents the spirit of the arts. And then there are small figures um, included in the whole design, which represent the activities of the cultural center, which were music and dance and martial arts and theater and uh, writing and painting. And, oh, and we, there was so much ferment going on at that time, which I'm sure you remember. And I so we, 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 we worked separately and then put all our images together from the three of us to, to come up with a design for the front side of the building. Well, it's interesting that you you say you sought something that wasn't political, but of course, the very idea of both immigrants and indigenous peoples and even art itself is right now uh, quite revolutionary ideas in some people's minds. Well, I agree, and, and it's, it's interesting to what history has, has shown us about, about that philosophy, the, the fact that those residents of the mural of the mission district at that time are now being displaced themselves by incoming much younger, much wealthier uh, people for the most part is also relevant in this. We're calling this the Puentes Project, the Bridges Project. We want it to be a bridge between the the various populations of the mission district so that there it continues to be the, the heart of the mission, the central point that you spoke about at the beginning of your, your talk with me, but that it also includes some of those newcomers as well as some of, the, some of the people who have managed to stay living there during these times of, of great change. So how did you decide on the colors of all of these images? Well, the colors, the original colors were extremely vibrant. It's now faded greatly and and unevenly, and we, we wanted uh, strong, bright, primitive colors 
they don't particularly have a, a meaning aside from their their role in the mural, but we wanted, to, all three of us were muralists, so we, we were combining techniques as well as uh, imagery. We worked the color out in a beautiful drawing ahead of time, and then if you've seen the film Anatomy of a Mural by Rick Goldsmith, which was made during that time period, it chronicles the entire process, and it has been shown at the Mission Culture Center t- uh, twice now as part of the fundraising campaign for this, and it shows how we applied the color. It's not done in the traditional mural fashion of outlining something and then filling it in. It's done in layers, so it's many, many layers of paint, one on top of the other to give the rich, rich color and and vibrancy that the mural has. And how are you going to supervise this this work? You now live in New Mexico, and Carlos, where does he live? He lives uh, in Sacram- near Sacramento, and we will both be there. We'll, you know, make arrangements to be present. We figure that the restoration will take at least a month, and we will uh, uh, supervise it very, very closely. And um, so how many apprentices? Or There'll probably be three or four. We're still working on that part of it. We have commitments from two or three younger people. Now, I'm not going to name their names yet until we have you know, that's really solidified a little bit more. But young, vigorous, able to climb the scaffold. (laughs) And we will have for ourselves probably a little elevator in the scaffold. Uh, Carlos particularly has some um, health issues and and will need to be able to get up and down easily without having to climb. It's going to be a huge, (laughs) huge endeavor. We're really looking forward to it. Because you can see that mural from a block away. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, if, I wonder if any of the safety issues have changed since the 80s when you made the original mural. Well, of course, the, the um, regulations have been tightened up a great deal. We moved around on the scaffold with no belts or anything. We were, we were quite young and quite agile. And we will have, certainly on the, the wall prep part of it, we have to be much more careful about the, the solvents used and the, the technical part of it. The safety regulations are, will be up to date, and of course we'll, we will abide by all of them. Well, this is a beautiful project, and it's going to mean so much to the community, especially as people perhaps are dispersed, and when they come back, there'll be something to come back to. There'll still be this familiar landscape. It won't have faded out of sight and out of mind and out of heart. It will still be there to beckon people and inspire them to the arts, which has been the role of the Mission Cultural Center for these almost 40 years. Well, thank you, Nina. I I hope that's the case. The Mission Cultural Center, of course, has changed as well. I see it as uh, much more vigorous than it was back in the early days. As you remember, it was uh, uh, cobbled together from different funding sources and a great number of volunteer hours, and and it's a much smoother operation now and uh, probably serves many more people than it did. But I just I hope that that mural remains not only as a, a reminder of the past, but once it's repainted, a reminder of the present too. That this this kind of project is still possible in the San Francisco that we know and love. <laughs> 
Yes, and one of the reasons that the center is so vibrant is the youth participation in it. Right now, this summer, they have the MAS program going where children are there basically in an art summer camp every day, experiencing the arts, learning how to create them, but and having that experience as part of their development, but also being prepared for adulthood and being the audience and the appreciator and the ones who will value the arts in the community. So it really is a marvelous institution. And Jenny Rodriguez, as the executive director, has done a really magnificent job, and it'll be quite a celebration at that 40th anniversary. And I hope to be part of it, and I hope to be there to applaud your beautiful mural being unveiled. Well, thank you so much. Um, uh, we were recently in the, the Cultural Center, both Carlos and I present an exhibition of works as part of a, a fundraiser for the mural restoration. And as you say, I was so impressed to see those children coming in uh, so eager, so interested, and and so young, and and to see the the new life that they were bringing to the center, and of course all the same programs were still going on. You could hear the drummers drumming up on the third floor, and the and there was there was a really spectacular exhibition in the main gallery, and uh, the whole place just as soon as you you pass through that door, the whole place just glows with energy. So I'm looking forward as well to that anniversary celebration. And and I don't know the date that it will be, but I hope by that point we'll either have the mural finished or have it really far along so that people can see that as part of the, uh, the uh, continuity of the, the cultural center's offerings. And Betsy, would you please give us the... Uh the Facebook page where people can go to donate if they would like to? Okay. It is uh, www.facebook.com, and then it's slash capital M-C-C-L-A mural, and the mural part is in uh, small letters. So that's www.facebook.com slash M-C-C-L-A-M-U-R-A-L. That's right. And it will be very easy to see the drawings and the, the building itself and to, to get an idea of what all is involved when you go to that Facebook page. So thank you very much. Oh, thank you, Nina. I'm so pleased to talk about this, and hopefully by this time next year it'll be almost finished. <laughs> And I look forward to seeing you as well at, at whatever the celebration is. Well, thank you, and thank you for sharing your ideas, your enthusiasm, and your time with La Raza Chronicles listeners here on KPFA. Thank you, Nina. Listening to La Raza Chronicles, Crónicas de la Raza. I'm Brenda Yescas, and this is a calendar of Bay Area events and happenings for the week of Tuesday, July 12th through the 19th. For Friday, July 15th, join East Los Angeles band Quetzal for a night of rock, traditional son jarocho, salsa, 
cumbia, and more. They mix all these genres to express political, social, and personal struggles. This is at La Peña Cultural Center, 3105 Shattuck Avenue in Berkeley. Starts at 8.30 p.m. LaPeña.org for more information. Also for Friday the 15th, De Santurce a la Bahía, La Bomba es Vida. An evening of Afro-Puerto Rican bomba en plena with La Familia Cepeda direct from Puerto Rico. This is an amazing opportunity to be able to witness this family, cultural ambassadors who have been practicing their musical tradition, which is more of a way of life for them, for more than seven generations. This is at the Brava Theater, 2781 24th Street in San Francisco. Starts at 8 p.m. Brava.org. For Friday, July 15th and 16th, Ozo Motley is back in the Bay with special guest Bay Area's own Soltron. Come for a night of jazz, reggae, and cumbia. This is at the New Parish, 1743 San Pablo Avenue in Oakland. Both shows start at 9 p.m. TheNewParish.com Also for Friday, July 15th and 16th, a double feature, the new Frida Cumentary, Entre el Dolor y el Placer, by director Gabriel Santander and producer Noemi Cadena from Canal 22 of Mexico. There will also be a live performance featuring Frida's favorite music. Afterwards, it will be showing a rough cut of their new film featuring Frida's wardrobe, which was recently released for public viewing and is currently on display at the Casa Azul Museum. This is at the Mission Cultural Center for Latino Arts, 2868 Mission Street in San Francisco. Both shows start at 7 p.m. MissionCulturalCenter.org For Saturday the 16th, join Wonderland SF for the 6-year anniversary and opening reception of Simply Frida with over 20 artists from all over the Bay Area at Wonderland SF Gallery, 1266 Valencia Street in San Francisco. Starts at 6 p.m. WonderlandSF.com Also for Saturday the 16th, Peralta Hacienda's Exhibit Home and Away, Oakland, California Prisons and the Geography of the Heart relates strongly to the recent tragic events throughout America. The live audio and images shed light on the relationship between people and police and its history. This is at Peralta Hacienda Park, 2488 College Street in Oakland. It starts at 9 a.m. and ends at 12 p.m. PeraltaHacienda.org and this has been a list of Bay Area events, cultura y arte for the Bay Area. If you would like to add your event to our calendar, please email us at larasachronicles at kpfa.org or for more information on our show, go to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash larasachronicles. Feliz noches! been listening to La Raza Chronicles Crónicas de la Raza on KPFA 94.1 FM, community-powered radio. 
Tonight's program was produced by Nina Serrano, Julieta Kusnir, Brenda Yescas, and Vanessa Bohm. If you'd like to hear this program again or share it with others, just search for La Raza Chronicles on SoundCloud.com. Make sure to like us on Facebook to receive regular updates on news, arts, and culture desde el mundo latino. We'd love to hear feedback from listeners, so send us an email at larasachronicles at kpfa.org. Stay tuned next Tuesday at 7 p.m. for more of La Raza Chronicles, Crónicas de la Raza. Hasta la próxima. Buenas noches.